I think a lot of people, when they start businesses, they think that they have to quit their job, that it's all or nothing. And I don't think that's the case. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Shopify Masters, a weekly podcast powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. I'm your host, Felix Thiel, and each week we chat with entrepreneurs to find out what they have learned while growing successful e-commerce businesses. For Elle Lu, her journey from corporate life to becoming her own boss started with a problem. Elle is a hot sleeper, and if you're like her, you know what that's like. You wake up in the middle of the night, you're sweaty, sometimes you even break out. So she did what anyone would do. She looked for solutions, except she couldn't really find any. It turns out that cotton isn't always a sleep-friendly fabric, even though most of our sheets and bedding are made of it. That realization started Elle down the path of founding her own company. It's called Eucalypso, where she makes sheets, duvet covers, pillows, sleep masks, you name it, all from eucalyptus trees. And as she'll tell you, she's been sleeping a lot better ever since. Elle, it's my pleasure to welcome you to Shopify Masters. Thank you for doing this. Thank you so much, Felix. I'm so excited to be here. Okay, so I got to ask, why eucalyptus? You know, I think about eucalyptus, I'm thinking about the plant, the, the fragrance, koalas. Like, what about eucalyptus makes gray fabric? Yeah, that's a great question. The really amazing thing about eucalyptus is it's such a versatile and innovative fiber. So there's a lot that you can do with it. Like you said, a lot of people recognize it by its fragrance, but you can also take the bark from eucalyptus trees. You can strip it down and you can make fabric from that. And that's essentially what we do with our products. Our products are made with 100% eucalyptus fibers. And I think the really cool thing about it is it's also super sustainable. So what a lot of people don't know is that eucalyptus um, is actually an invasive species. And so it grows rampantly like bamboo. And so you can really do a lot with it without depleting resources quickly. Yeah. And how did you know this while you were looking for a solution? Like what led you down this path of finding eucalyptus fibers? Yeah, so I actually did not really know this about eucalyptus. Um, as you had said, I started out with a problem in recognizing that cotton is not exactly a super sleep-friendly fabric, and it's also actually not very eco-friendly either. As I was doing some digging, I found out that cotton is one of the dirtiest and thirstiest crops, so it takes a significant amount of water and pesticides to grow and manufacture and causes a lot of pollution and environmental runoff. And so I actually initially started looking at bamboo as an alternative um, and found out that bamboo is actually a very greenwashed kind of fabric as well. And so then I spent about probably a year and a half just traveling, reaching out to different manufacturers and mills, learning about different types of fabric that existed that were more innovative. And then that's how I came across eucalyptus. Yeah. And for listeners out there, when you are you know, coming home from a long day, you're falling into your bed at the end of a, this long day, what does it feel like? What does eucalyptus fabric feel like? Yeah, that's a great question. And I just, I want to say it feels magical. Um, so the first thing you'll notice when you touch it is, is it's cool to the touch. So something that our customers immediately notice as soon as you put your hands on it, you feel this cooling effect, which is really awesome. And it's very silky as well. The way that we describe it is kind of a cross between silk and cotton. It has a lot of the silky properties that's very similar to silk, feels really great and gentle and pampering. But also at the same time, it's not as weak um, as silk. Right? It has a little bit of the starchness and the crispness of cotton. And so it's a perfect in-between if you're someone who likes, you know, really soft cotton or kind of more crisper feel of silk. Um, and it just feels amazing on the skin. It's really great and just, you know, luxurious. 
Yeah, I love the way you described that. And, you know, for other entrepreneurs out there that are building a product or want to build a product that has like a benefit that's so tactile that requires you to kind of experience it. How do you communicate that to your customers when they are coming to your page for the first time and don't know anything about your brand or eucalyptus fibers, like anything about that? How do you make sure that imagery that you just gave us, like how do you make sure that's communicated to your prospective customers? Right. So I think um, exactly as you said, it is a little bit of a challenge when you are an online store and you're hosting your store on Shopify and people can't really touch it for themselves. And so we leverage a few things. First thing I try to do is with our description in our copy, I try to use as many of those touch tactile words as possible. It's more of the um, show, don't tell, right? And so a lot of what we try to do is use those words like silky, soft, cooling, so that people can really understand. And then to complement that, we really leverage photos as well as videos. Um, so photos are really great because we do a lot of close-up shots, so you can actually see the ripples of the fabric as it moves um, in a picture format. And the videos are just amazing because you get to see, you know, as I'm pulling on the fabric or touching it, you get to see exactly how silky it is. So it's really great in that way. Yeah. And any advice for that when you are looking to take photos or videos demonstrating those things, did you work with someone in-house or did you go and outsource that? Like, how do you make sure that your vision is communicated in the end product of a photo or a video? Yeah, so I am very, very hands-on with my photo shoots. Every photo shoot we've done is someone that I personally know or reach out to because I really enjoy their work. And I work together with them to plan a mood board. I do all of my research to see what other people are doing and to kind of be able to put together a list of shots that I think will best convey what we're trying to do. And so for me, I make sure that we get, you know, both long ranging shots of a bed from far away and how it looks, as well as those ones I said, where it's very, very close up, where you can see exactly how the fabric moves and all of those things. Um, I do think that photo shoots is incredibly important these days because there's such a need to generate content and such a desire for customers to always see new things and see new photos and videos. And so for me, I like to be as hands-on with those photo shoots as possible because it's just such a core part of our brand. When, when you're creating this kind of content, is it something that's transferable to like social media? Like when you're creating like a product page and you have your photos and your videos in there, can you just kind of copy and paste that into social media or do you have to build content specifically for social media? Yeah, so I would say um, kind of a combination of both. We obviously try to take these really high quality photos that will work for both social media as well as website. I think the really important thing to keep in mind here is that a lot of website images are horizontal, whereas social media, a lot of it is vertical. And so that's something that we need to plan in advance. So I always tell our um, photographer to take a combination of both. But actually on these photo shoots, I also invite my incredible social media manager as well, who does a lot of shots just um, with her iPhone. So she does a lot of video and image shots because we actually find that on social media, um, iPhone photos or photos that are more organic and raw tends to actually perform really well. You mentioned how you did not know about eucalyptus fabric or fibers. You kind of traveled around and found that out. Tell us more about that experience. Like where did you go and what was your experience like as you were looking for a solution? 
I mean, the question is, where did I not go? <laughs> I guess I really tried to travel around. We went to, so I guess the first the place I started is that I was living in New York at the time, which is amazing because New York has this building on 34th that actually is for textiles and for people who work in the home space. And so that was a really great place for me to kind of start my research because it was a centralized place where I had access to a lot of different companies um, that have a lot of information on this. And so what I did is I actually just looked it up and I looked up the companies that worked there and I did a lot of cold emailing and cold calling. And um, what's wonderful about a lot of them is that even if you don't end up working with them or meet their minimum order quantity, they're still willing to talk to you because they know that they might end up working with you down the line as you grow. And so I started there and from there I was actually able to learn more about different fabrics, different textiles, what's new and innovative in the home bedding space. And then from there, I actually had a list of um, manufacturers and mills that I created and set up appointments to go talk to all of them. So I went to Mexico, I went to Portugal, we went to China. I wanted to see these places for myself and make sure that they were doing things the right way, that they were creating products the right way. And I actually discovered that you know, there were places where I would call them, I would email them, they look amazing, they do all this stuff. They sound like they're a huge manufacturing facility. I go and it's literally just three people sitting in an apartment or something, you know? So it's, it's really different when you actually go and see it yourself. Um, so I would definitely suggest that if you are thinking of working with a manufacturer or mill in the future. I'm talking with El Lu, founder of Eucalypso. It's a sustainable bedding company that sells sheets, duvet covers, pillowcases, you name it, all made from eucalyptus trees. And El, we haven't talked about your background yet, but in many ways you fulfilled this American dream already. You went to Princeton, you got out of school and went to get jobs in consulting and tech. You worked at American Express, MasterCard, like all these kind of household names. When you made the decision to jump into something brand new, starting your own risky business, right? The time mm -hmm. was risky. Mm -hmm. What was the reaction from your friends and family? So uh, I started Eucalypso while I was actually still working in American Express. I was working in the small merchants group. Um, and what was really great about that is I was actually really inspired because in my in my daily job, I would see small businesses and people who were starting their businesses. And that was really inspiring to me. And so I felt like in that sense, a lot of my coworkers and friends um, really identified and understood kind of what I was doing. And I was met with a lot of support from a lot of my really closest friends and even my family as well. I was genuinely very surprised that my parents were so supportive. I was actually scared to tell them, but I think my, um, my parents, you know, they moved here from China and they're both very adventurous in that sense. And so I think um, they really were very supportive of me taking on something new and doing something that I had really wanted to pursue. Um, so in that sense, you know, I had a really great sense of community and people who were very supportive. But obviously, like anyone who starts a company, I think there's people who don't really understand what, what you're doing or why you're doing it, um, who, you know, aren't really going to step up for you. And I think that's just a natural part of running a business. The way that um, my really close friend at the time told me is that you need to prove to people that you can do it, right? Not everyone's going to immediately support you. Not everyone's going to come and buy your products. And you shouldn't expect that from people. You should put yourself in a position where people see how successful you are, that they want to support you and they want to buy your products. And I think that's a really inspirational way of looking at it. Um, and that's kind of what's pushed me past, you know, any negative negativity I face is just 
hopefully being, at, you know, a point where people do see how much I've achieved and want to root for me. And were there certain chapters or milestones along the way where you look back and like, wow, or maybe you finally took the time to reflect and like, wow, I really can do it. I'm actually am doing it. Yeah. Um, so, so many, I think even first of all, just getting my first order, that was not, um, a friend or a family, um, was huge. I was like, this is incredible. I can't believe someone actually want my product. And then within the first two years, while I was still working my full-time job, I was just doing Eucalypso on the side. Um, we reached seven figures and that's when I was like, okay, this is just really incredible. The fact that I am able to do this on the side as a side job and that I'm able to have so many customers and have customers who are emailing me and leaving reviews saying that how much they love this product and how much our sheets have helped with, um, the way they sleep and how it's keeping them cool or it's helping them minimize their acne and breakouts. It's just a really incredible feeling. Um, and so I would say that those milestones have been significant for me. And I always think back on them and I'm like, you know what? Like, I think I can do this because there's people who love this and there's people, customers who are willing to buy this and who support us. Yeah. It's always a shock where, when you get that first order from someone yeah. that you don't know, maybe across the country on the other side of the world, tell us more about how that came out. Like what were the steps to getting your first customers? Yeah. So for me, um, I think, so I bootstrap my company and, um, every dollar you spend in marketing is huge. You want to make sure that every dollar you're spending is profitable. And when you start with, especially when you just bought thousands and thousands of sets of sheets, you don't really have a lot of money to work with. And so I capitalized on everything that was available to me um, as a free resource. So I had a pretty significant um, social media following um, just for my personal account. So I reached out to everyone on my social media. I you know, updated my status, made as many stories and posts as possible. And then I also um, leveraged my network. And so I had actually sent out emails to people that I know from my personal email, as well as my alumni network asking if, you know, if there were people who have advice on entrepreneurship or if there's anyone who needed sheets. And so that's kind of where my first few sales came from were actually people who were in my circle, but I may not, you know, immediately know it's not my mom or my dad or my best friend, but it's people that were tangentially, you know, two or three degrees removed from my circle. And that was really great um, to kind of tap into that without having to spend money necessarily on paid ads. Yeah. And I think the nuance that you call out here is that when you reached out to them, you weren't like saying, hey, buy my stuff, buy my stuff. You sound like there was more to that outreach. Tell us more about that. How do you make use of your network in a way where you're now like trying to you know, pitch them and sell them all the time? Yeah, I actually think it is really, um, it, it's, a, it's very in your face when people kind of reach out and are trying to sell you something. I don't like to do that. Even when I'm talking about my products to people, um, I, I think that the way better way to approach it is to kind of tell your story and tell in a way that has people supporting you, you know? So I think if you kind of talk about what it is that you're doing and either ask people for help, like, Hey, Felix, I know you talk to other entrepreneurs. I would love to tap in your brain and kind of see, learn, a little bit from you, or if it's my friend and just kind of getting a sense of, Hey, how do you sleep? I would love to know about more about your sleep patterns. Um, I think, you know, you have to tailor it differently to the people that you're talking to, but just kind of making in a way that you are building a connection. You are having a back and forth 
conversation rather than being like, Hey, Felix, uh, do you want sheets? Here's some sheets. You should definitely buy them. I just think it's a lot. So I think at the end of the day, it's kind of a win-win because even if something doesn't come from it, you learn something from someone or you build a connection. And that's, I think long-term, um, it goes a lot further than potentially selling someone sheets. Yeah. And you said that, you know, seven figures in sales on the side and based on what you're saying now, a lot of kind of manual or at least not very scalable sales strategies, right? A lot of people talk about pouring money into, into paid ads or finding some influencers and getting out there. It sounded like what you were doing a lot was kind of just like outreach and took a lot of time. Was that the whole strategy all the way up to seven figures or was there a certain point where we were like, this is just not not sustainable anymore? It's definitely not sustainable. I think that was the way that we got our first few orders. But um, as you know, these days, it's a very marketing heavy landscape, especially into the in the DDC e-com space. And I think that's especially the case for the betting space that I'm in. That's very competitive. And so very early, um, we had to start scaling our paid search and our paid social ads. Um, and that was a huge way for us to kind of grow the business. The way that I like to think about my marketing, um, which is something I took with me from my tech career, is something I call surround sound marketing, which I think is what everyone's doing these days. But essentially the idea that whether you are on Facebook or you are listening to a podcast or you are Googling something that we're able to reach you. And I think that you can even do that even if you have a very small budget. Um, It's just putting a little bit of everything into into your marketing. Um, and I think that's a really great way to look at your marketing holistically. And that's a huge thing that helped me get to the seven figures in sales. <laughs> the first cup of coffee, it was awful. Meet Rod Johnson, co-founder of Black & Bold, a premium specialty coffee and tea company powered by Shopify. The journey of Black & Bold started with us opening our online Shopify store while we were burning beans in my business partner's garage. Shopify allows us to stay true to our mission by having an easily customizable and responsive site. They make it very easy for novices to try their hand in becoming entrepreneurs. Get a free 14-day trial at shopify.com slash podcast. I'm talking with L. Liu, founder of Eucalypso. It's a sustainable bedding company that sells sheets, duvet covers, pillowcases, you name it, all made from eucalyptus trees. All of this was done on the side, seven figures, even though you were doing you know, paid ads and everything, still a lot to balance. Tell us more about how that was done. How did you have a job and then also grow a business to seven figures? Yeah, I am still learning that balance part myself right now. Um, I think it's like if you are doing something that you love, you're just driven to do it. And I'm not saying it's easy. It's definitely incredibly difficult. The way that I attempt to structure my day is that, you know, while I was working my job, I would wake up in the morning, spend an hour in the morning sorting through customer emails, personal emails, any ups, any updates and things, and then kind of making list of all the things I plan on getting done that day. And then I would spend, you know, the full eight hours at work. The great thing is also that I I love my full-time job. I love working as a product manager. Um, And so I always found my job, my personal job to be very fulfilling as well. It wasn't something I was necessarily, you know, trying to run away from or anything. And so I feel like that helped me really stay focused in my job as well. And then after work, I probably take time to go work out, um, have dinner. And then I would spend the rest of the night tackling the things that I wanted to do. I will say that, um, a lot of really great things about, about marketing these days is there's so much automation, right? And so if you dedicate yourself to spending the weekend setting up 
any sort of marketing you need to do, said planning the things that you need to do. Most of the time during the week, you're not necessarily, you don't necessarily need to go in there and be updating things. And so that helps streamline the work significantly. You know, my schedule may look like, you know, working on Eucalypso, working on my job and then working on Eucalypso. But that's not how my everyday looks, right? I go and, you know, hang out with my friends and I do things that I enjoy while I was doing this as a side job because I think that um, there's a lot of things that you can automate and hand off to other people to really help you succeed. And to be honest, that sounds like a pretty healthy balance for for, for doing both of these things. You know, going to work out and still eat, a, eat dinner and hang out with your friends. <laughs> so it sounds like you figure out something when it comes to like time management, maybe it's prioritization. What did you learn about what was a good use of your time looking back and what was a bad use of your time now that you look back on it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think that a prioritization is a huge thing. And luckily, I've learned a lot of that from you know, working as a product manager, I think I always think of being a product manager as very similar to running your own business because you're doing so many different things. Um, and you really need to focus on what's going to take time and what's going to have the maximum effort. And so me for the way that I always look at it is I want to do the things that have the maximum, um, effect with the minimum amount of time. Right. And so those are always going to be the things I prioritize first. And so for me, a lot of that is, is really significant things like marketing. Marketing, I think drives a lot of the backbone of the things that, you know, your, your business and how your business is perceived and your brand. Um, and then there's other things that take me a lot of time, but I think has very kind of, I guess more, more of a minimal effect. Um, and so when I say that, I think about things like, you know, doing my finances um, and bookkeeping or social media work. And so those were kind of the things that I had immediately outsourced as soon as I could, because I know that for me, it doesn't maybe come as easily or it's not as fast for me to do it as someone else. And then I will also say the number one thing that I will tell new business owners to outsource is just setting up things. So whether that's setting up your Amazon FBA account or, you know, or just like setting up the hundreds of products that you have, those really tedious things that's going to take you hours, um, just get someone else to do it because it's just so much better that way. Yeah. So, so outsourcing, you know, setting, setting up for, especially for setting up repeatable tasks that someone else can do mm-hmm. clearly will save you time once you've invested the time into hiring and training, but it still requires time, right. To hire and train. Mm-hmm. Tell us about that experience of hiring and training your first, your first employee or first uh, you know, freelancer. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that I try to do is to document as much as I can so that I can make this process a lot easier. And for me, um, what I try to really look for with the people I work with is more of just a fit and understanding the company, right? So because I think that that's something that's incredibly difficult to teach, um, to understand a brand, a brand presence, a brand voice, brand um, aesthetics, things like that. And if you find someone who's able to understand that easily, Easily, that I think immediately cuts your work in half. It's so much more difficult for me to understand, to kind of tell you why an image resonates with people rather than finding someone who understands that. And then I think the rest of it is I was able to just use the rest of my documenting to present that. So, hey, read this brief about what our um, 
our product is. And I tell people to look through the website. The website has everything. It's all the information that you need. And just by taking an hour or two to just read through everything on the website, um, look at all our blogs, you understand 99% of what it is that we're trying to do. And so for me, that's huge when I try to look for someone. And that's just kind of the baseline, obviously, depending on what function they're in, there's other kind of skills and requirements. But I think those two things really help minimize the amount of work that you're doing long term. Yeah, there's something about creative work that people think that they can just kind of do themselves. And I think there are certainly shortcuts that you can kind of you know, pay or hire your way uh, to, to, to taking. And when you are working with like a, a brand designer or agency, uh, talk, talk to us more about like how do they work with you when you're going to that meeting for the first time? Like what kind of questions and answers are, are being fielded? Yeah. So a lot of the questions is that they kind of have a prompt or a template that they're going to ask you and you really have to know the answers to it. They're not going to be able to give you the answer. And so it's a lot of questions like, you know, how would you describe your product? Use 10 words that you would use to kind of describe the branding that you want. Um, How would you describe your customers? What kind of emotions do you want to evoke? And so if you don't know your product or you don't know your customers well, that's going to be hard for you to answer, right? And there's so many different ways to approach it. Your answer could be cool and edgy and sleek, or it could be cozy and comforting or, or fun and vibrant and bright. And those are all different things. And you really have to go into it with a sense of what it is that you want to present, because if you don't know it, um, that's going to make everyone's job really difficult. And so I think a lot of people go to brand agencies or designers thinking that they're going to give you the answer. But honestly, you actually have to go in with a lot of your own answers and they just kind of help you really take that to the next level. Yeah, and what I'm really curious about is that you were able to hire these freelancers um, as soon as you could for the, the brand new work, for anything that you could outsource. You weren't getting funding. You weren't you know, using anyone else's money. It was all bootstrapped by yourself. And you had your day job. But what did you learn about money management during this time? Like, How did you make sure that you could pay your rent, you could have dinner with your friends, but then also grow this to a seven-figure business? The amount of accounting terms I've learned makes me feel like I could be an accountant myself, to be quite honest. Um, it's been a huge learning curve uh, just because I, I think like most people, I didn't go to college for accounting to know about profit and loss, but don't know how to do a profit and loss statement, right? So I think there's a lot that goes into it. So I think that it's taught me a lot because for me, when you're bootstrapping, you have to know where every single dollar is and how it's being spent and how profitable it is. And so when I'm working with any agency or any marketer, they their question is always, oh, how much do you want to spend this month? My question is, how much return can you generate for me? If you can generate me um, two or three or however many X returns, I can spend hundreds of thousands of dollars, right? But most of the time we can't really get to that level. So let's be realistic about the ROAS that we can generate with the, with the amount of money I have. And then also being really on top of my data and understanding how each marketing channel performs and what the return looks like. So I am really, really obsessed and on top of my numbers. So every morning I wake up, Besides my email, I check my QuickBooks and just understand, you know, what the expense has looked like for the past day, what we're spending, what the return looks like. And I think that's really important when you are bootstrapping because it really allows you to be able to focus and know where your money is going to. Um, The other thing that I will say as a part of this is that 
I, I think that, you know, being able to support yourself financially is really, really important, especially when you get started. I think a lot of people, when they start businesses, they think that they have to quit their job, that it's all or nothing. Um, and I don't think that's the case. I think that oftentimes leave you in a situation where you are financially incapable of kind of running your business because it takes a lot of capital to do it. Just know that, you know, you know, at the core of any business, it's, it's just it's just money in and out, right? And so, being able to know how much you're spending and understanding money management um, is super super important. Three years in now, amazing growth. What are some of the biggest opportunities in your space that you're looking at and that you want to focus the direction of your business towards? Yeah. So, um, you know, we had talked about being tactile and and how important feel is for a product like this. And we've always been an online business. I think that e-commerce has, um, you know, been really helpful, but as you probably know as well, e-commerce has gotten significantly more competitive and more saturated. And so what I would love to do is to get our product in front of people. So we've actually are in almost, I think, 80 boutique stores around the U.S., which is pretty exciting. And just having people actually be able to see and feel the product and feel how comfortable and luxurious it is, I think is going to make all of the difference. Because as much as I can talk to you and show you pictures of how wonderful it is, like that that first cooling touch when you put your fingers on it, it's just a game changer. And so that's my next big direction is to try to get this in front of people and try to actually, um, you know, have people feel it. I think it's going to to be huge. I want to thank you so much for joining me today. El Lu is the founder of Eucalypso. It's a sustainable bedding company whose products are made from eucalyptus trees. El, thank you again for joining me. Thank you so much, Felix. I appreciate it. And that's all the time we have for this week. Come hang out with us next time on Shopify Masters. Again, I'm Felix Tia. Take care. 